Well, it's good to see you. Uh, last week, we started, uh, this is always fun for me. I get, you know, when I was pastoring, I had to be careful what I taught and preached about here. I don't care, you know, if you get, if you get mad, you'll be, you'll be mad at Pastor Eddie. You won't remember my name, so that's fine. So I got to experiment a little bit, and I have been, I've, I've been fascinated with this idea for a while that, that, that we don't fully understand what it means for God to be a relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Richard Rohr begins his book, uh, The Divine Dance, by, with this phrase. He would rewrite Genesis to say, in the beginning was the relationship. It's what is uh, expressed to us in Genesis 1.26 when God says, Let us make man in our image, in the image of God he made them. It's the reference to the relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, it, and if we see that, if we really get a hold of that, then that relationship becomes a model for, for our relationships. And our relationships should be modeled after the relationship that we see in the, in the triune Godhead, in the Trinity. Um, couples will come to me often, and, uh, and I always ask myself, how do I know when they are okay? How do I know they are when they're well? And, and I think I'm beginning to believe when they begin to look a little bit more like the triune Godhead, when they begin to look like that, then we know they're on the right track, that they're, that they're becoming the relationship that God has for them. So we began our first session with the idea that the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that, that triune Godhead that is referenced in Genesis 1.26 is the perfect model for relationships, for all relationships, pastor-parish relationships, uh, boss-employee, great friends, uh, but especially for marriage, especially for husband and wife. So that's where we began last week talking about the fact that the triune Godhead is the model for relationship. The character, the character of, of our relationship is modeled after the character of God. Not just God, on the, but God the relationship. The things that we, the difference that it makes for God to be in relationship, the things that we begin to grasp when we begin to grasp that should be the things that we try to implement into our own relationships. I, I mentioned last week these five principles very, very quickly. These five principles about the character of God, the, the triune character of God, um, our behavior is determined by our value. What is important to us is the way we will act. We'll act on that. And when we see the, the movement, when Jesus says at the, at, when he's at the well, at the, uh, on, on, talk, after he's just talked to the woman at the well, and Jesus says, my will is to do, my meat, the King James says, my meat is to do the will of the Father. My behavior is patterned after what really matters to me. And so one of the characters of the triune Godhead is that they act according to their values. And in our relationships, when it's right, it should be that. We should be acting in relationship when, when I'm, I'm, I'm short with Doris, when, I'm, when I snap at her, when I treat her in an unloving way, when she treats me in a disrespectful way, then we are not acting in accordance with our values. Do you see how that 
how that begins to work. So I, I look at the character of the nature of God, the triune Godhead, and I say, am I, am, am I living that out in my relationship? The second is that everyone is given authority. Jesus says, it's important for you to go away, or if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. I, I've got a job to do. He's got a job to do. God the Father has a job to do. Everybody has a, a authority. So there is no place in a relationship for an under-my-thumb kind, of, kind of, uh, uh, of connection. There's no place for a absolute... There's no place for a dictatorship in a relationship. Everybody is given some authority in the relationship. And all authority has limitations. All authority. By, by choice, God the Father says, I'll go this far. I turn this over to Jesus, the Son. I turn this over to the Holy Spirit. And there are limitations that they, that they choose. So I say, and I, and I said last week, I, well, I got myself in now. I get too far. But I repeat the joke. I repeat like George said when we got married, that you do, you do all the important stuff and I'll do the unimportant stuff. It's worked great for us. 39 years. We've never had one important thing in our marriage. It's all been unimportant. We buy a car, buy a house. Door says, oh, that's an unimportant thing. You, I'm saving you for the important stuff. So there's a limitation to our, to our authority. That limitation then is kind of responsibility. We, we, we choose to surrender some of our power to be responsible. Responsibility comes with expectations. In the, even in the Trinity, in the triune Godhead, Jesus says, I will ask the Father. I expect him to respond. He says, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. I expect that what you're doing in us, you will do in them. It, there are expectations that we, can, that we can hold on to. And finally, everyone is accountable to someone. I... There is no more, um, well, I mean, I, this is a really, you want to write this down. This is a really, there's nobody better than God. That, this is a, that's all I got for tonight, but thank y'all for coming. That was it. I mean, that, and yet he chooses to say, this is how far I'll go. And, 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 and Jesus, now I'm, I'm holding myself accountable to you. And Holy Spirit, you're accountable to, and they choose accountability. And we choose if I'm in a relationship where there's no accountability, that's not a, a relationship that looks like the triune Godhead. It's not a relationship that is the kind of relationship that God desires for us. Well, that, all that's last week. And that gets us a running start to, to say, we could sum all of those things up in one word. And here's the word I'd like to share with you tonight and talk about a little bit tonight. The one word, and that word is vulnerability. We talk about character, that, that there's, our relationships are modeled after the, the triune Godhead, and that means that we have the character of that divine nature. Now we take on the vulnerability. Vulnerability then produces intimacy. We can't be intimate without, without vulnerability. And intimacy then allows for structure. And that's, and that's what we're going to do the next two weeks. We're going to take those two words, talk about each one of those. But tonight, vulnerability. The, the, the word that we would use, the, the amazing and almost impossible thing for us to understand about an almighty God is that he chooses to make himself vulnerable. Isn't that kind of an interesting word to attach to God? We don't, we, we don't think about so much. He is all-powerful, omniscient, uh, always present. 
and yet he chooses to make himself vulnerable. And if we're going to be in a relationship, and again, please, I want to, I'm, I'm trying my best, and you help me, I'm trying my best to say this is not just about marriages. It certainly is apropos for marriages, but it's about relationships in general, that as I choose to make myself vulnerable, that relationship becomes more and more what the relationship is supposed to be. His vulnerability becomes the pattern for our relationships. That vulnerability produces intimacy, and that intimacy makes possible structure in a relationship. So when we get done in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what, a, what a, I think a biblical marriage looks like and say this is because of the character, the vulnerability, and the intimacy of God. Okay? All right. Vulnerability. What do you think about when you think about vulnerability? What's that word mean to you? Open? Okay, I'm, I'm open. Yeah, I make myself vulnerable. Trusting? Good. It's hard to be vulnerable if you don't trust. Transparency. That's a great word. Transparent? What else? Somebody whispered something back here. Real? Yeah, I'm, yeah well, if you're vulnerable, you're going to be real. Let's get real. What else? What are, the, what are the bad words about vulnerability? What are, the, what are the, sometimes we hear the word vulnerable and kind of, kind of hear, what, what, do you, what, what negative connotation do you attach to vulnerability? Fear? Weak? Yeah. Those kinds of the fear, weakness, somewhat we attach to those. And, and, you know, I would go so far as to say they are not, that's not wrong. That's a part of what we, I mean, vulnerability comes with a certain amount of fear. It, it, is, it may be a self-imposed weakness, but it comes with a weakness saying, I, I'm willing, uh, you know, I'm in, in my weakness. He's made strong in my weakness. I'm willing to allow him to work at that. Well, I'd like to, I, here's one of the problems. Vulnerability, sometimes we confuse for another word that we use in counseling. We probably use it too much. Some words you use so much that you don't even know what they mean. But we, we use the word codependency all the time. You know, vulnerability looks a little bit like codependency. It's just, you know, I'm kind of wishy-washy and just kind of giving myself to everybody else and whatever they... What do you think I should do? I don't know. What should I do? What should, what should I, okay. So, I want to give you an illustration. I need a, a couple of, of uh, volunteers. I, and I don't, I don't mean to be sexist, but I need a couple of men uh, to volunteer. Uh, Kathy just volunteered David. She looked at him, so that was a, that was a volunteer. I need David. One, one more guy to volunteer. It's going to be rel- relatively painless. Somebody else? Real quick. Okay, Chuck, great. Uh, I need to meet you guys over here, if that's okay. Uh, and I need to, let's see. Uh, Chuck, we'll have you go first, okay? I need you to put on this blindfold, Okay. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then, then you can use this to, to tie it on, make sure you can't see. Are you, are you blind as a bat? Yep. Good. Perfect. All right. We'll get back to him in a little while. Uh, no, here's what, I, here's what I want us to do. Chuck, on the other side of the, of the sanctuary, there is a, a treat, a Valentine's treat. Uh, it's a little heart, and we need you, and you can have it. We need you to come get it, uh, and all you have to do is walk over there and get it. But you're not alone in this. We're going to help you. 
So here's what I need you to do. And it's congregation. Now, you have to, you have to participate in this. We're going to direct him. We don't want him to fall. Now, we really don't. Well, some of you do want him to fall. But, but most of us, we really don't. So, so Chuck is going to start walking. And, and you need to tell him, okay, go right, go left, slow down, you know, go around, back up, whatever. And, you, and you, I, I need your help. I need everybody to participate in this, okay? So, ready? You start telling where to go, and Chuck, you go get this thing, okay? Three steps forward. Everybody, yeah, come on, tell him. Okay, keep telling him. Come on, come on, keep telling him. Right, come on. <laughs> come on, you can do it, Chuck. Come on, get there. Okay, keep telling him. Come on, come on. <laughs> All right, good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. He's, do- he's doing great, isn't he? Doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, good. He's doing great. He's doing wonderful. Isn't this great? Good. He, okay, don't, don't let him down. Come on, keep telling him where to go. Good job. We're not going to go quite that far. Good job. He's doing great. We're going to go right here. Good job. All right. Right? Okay. Yeah. Come on, keep telling him. Keep telling him. Keep telling him. Good job. Good job. Good job. No, <laughs> that's good. Good job. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'm, I'm handing it to him like you can see it. Okay, you can take this off. Didn't he do a great job? Give Chuck a big round of applause. That's great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. How, how did that feel? Chuck, how did that feel for you? Did that feel vulnerable? Yeah, yeah. Vulnerability can be confusing. You feel kind of helpless, a little weak. And I, I was at everybody's mercy. Good. That's pretty vulnerable. And how did it feel for you to to be in charge? I mean, he could have fallen based on what you did. How did that feel for you? Scary. Yeah. 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 Right. Peggy would have saved. He'd been okay. So good. What else? Any other thoughts? stressful there's a certain amount of vulnerability for us out here trying to help him in that is that does that make sense it's also a great example of some of the of some of the codependent kind of issues when i'm listening to everybody's voice and my direction and and everything comes from everybody around me i call it the disease to please and i'm just i'm caught up in what other people are saying and whatever other people are thinking but it's a great example of vulnerability but probably vulnerability in the wrong way okay all right david are you ready we're going to go again same thing same same deal would you put this on Oh, he, he took his glass off. We don't even need this. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, we're going to put you right here. Now, we're going to do the same exact thing. In a minute, David's going to start walking. I've got a treat over here, and he's going to come and get this treat. He's at the mercy. Can you see anything, David? Can't see anything. He's at the mercy. We're going to help him. But here's the difference. Kathy, you're the only one that's going to talk to him now, okay? Okay, that's a bad idea. Okay, somebody else. Somebody else. No. <laughs> no. Let's do the same thing. Kathy, would you? Okay, David, you start walking. Kathy's going to help you.
Wow, that was it. Yeah, wasn't that good? Yeah. <laughs> good job. I'm proud of Kathy for not walking near the wall or something. That was really good. So, so how did that feel for you, David? Did that feel vulnerable? Okay. All right. I mean, there is a little vulnerability because you're walking in the dark. Right. But I trust your voice. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a good word. I trust that voice. I hear that voice. I trust that voice. How about you, Kathy? How does it feel for you, for him to be... Yeah. <laughs> I'm directing him around all the time. Kathy said it feels normal. That's the way we always are. All right, this way. Walk this way. Sometimes in my house, Doris will say, get your coat. And I'll say, are we going someplace or am I cold? Which one? I don't, I'm not sure. Which one? <laughs> so, but, but do you see the difference in, in, a, in a, a good vulnerability when there's someone that I trust, I know that voice, and I choose to put myself in the hands of that individual as opposed to being at the mercy. Chuck said, I fell at their mercy and the mercy of that. You see the difference in, in the right kind of vulnerability and not the right kind of vulnerability. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's not powerlessness. It's not becoming a doormat. Vulnerability is being confident enough to lay aside our power for the sake of the other in the relationship. Isn't that a great thought? That vulnerability is being willing to lay aside our power for the sake of the other in the relationship. Well, we started this whole deal by saying that we we get that we, we take our, our example as, as God, that, that the triune Godhead has given us an example of that. So I have a couple of scriptures I'd like to share with you. Uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, that, that very famous uh, kenosis passage. Kenosis is the Greek word for emptying. And it's the emptying passage, the kenosis passage. Uh, uh, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, uh, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. And Paul finishes that verse by saying, obedient even to death on the cross. That is, there's, there's a powerful statement of God made in the image of God who chooses. He made himself. He chooses to empty himself and to take on the, the, not only the form of a human being, but the form of a servant and become obedient, obedient even unto death. Does that, does that sing to you of vulnerability? Do you, hear, do you hear the vulnerability in that? And can you see how that kind of choice, that kind of vulnerability could dramatically impact the significant relationships that you're in when one or the other or, or, or all the people in the relationship choose to empty themselves and to be vulnerable. Does that make sense? Here's another one. Isaiah 53. Uh, actually, when I was looking at this, I, I was just going to do the whole chapter and I thought, well, that's a little lengthy. So I just took a couple of verses. But the whole chapter... Just smacks of vulnerability. Uh, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Vulnerability is choosing to lay aside our power for the, for the sake of the other in the, in the relationship. Uh, here's an easy one. John three sixteen. How's that for vulnerability? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I grew up reading the New International Version and quoting the King James. I don't know why that is, but I just quote the King James all the time. Uh, and then finally, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't put this scripture, but I just love this story. In Revelation chapter 5, um, John is standing before the throne. Uh, they bring out the scroll and he's weeping. Who will open the scroll? Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Isn't that a powerful verse? See the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the next verse, John says, and I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. There's a, there's a powerful picture of vulnerability. That the lion chooses to become the, the lamb. So th- these primary examples of, of the triune Godhead, of, of his vulnerability, of his willingness to empty himself, to surrender himself, become the model for us in the relationships that, that, that God has for us, in the relationships that we desire to be more like him. Okay? All right, well, just go out and do that. Okay, thanks. Go do that. Why, why don't we do that? What makes that hard? This, this is an open question. What, what makes that so difficult? Pride. Man, there's a powerful word. Sometimes pride. That I, you mean you want me, the lion, to act like the lamb? Pride. Fear, again. Say more about fear, Kathy. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't. You know. I don't mind other people trusting. Just me. I don't want me to have to trust. But I don't mind other people trusting. So. Josh, my my youngest son, Jacob, is a. Uh, Still talking about being a missionary pilot and flying in, you know, the, just the darkest places in Africa. And he says, he says all the time, well, Dad, somebody has to do that. I said, I know, I know, just not my son. I don't want my son to do that. I know somebody has to. I don't want to have to trust like that. Somebody else said something over there. Man, that's a powerful word. Dor said rejection. That I, that I, there's the possibility when I make myself vulnerable that that's not reciprocated and that I... That I'm re- rejected. You ever been rejected? How's that? How does that feel? Yeah. Vulnerability. Any other reasons? You know what? Sometimes we just don't. Want, just don't want to. You just don't want to. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be vulnerable. I choose not to. Don't want. We're, we're selfish, self-centered. Well, here's an interesting... I, I would love to tell you I'm so smart that I came up with this sentence, but I didn't. 
the next time I say this, I will say, I've always said, uh, but this time, uh, uh, actually, uh, John Gottman, who's a great marriage counselor, John Gottman says this about vulnerability. Vulnerability creates the opportunity for the other to be their best self. Isn't that that an amazing statement? Vulnerability creates the opportunity for the other to be their best self. Now, Doris said there's a possibility of rejection. Kathy said there's a a possibility that they will fail you. You put your trust and they'll fail you. Uh, But it... So there's, there's, there's risk involved in this, but it creates the opportunity. So what are some examples of that that we might get from Scripture? Well, here's one. Here, here's one example. I, it's funny. I had a conversation today with uh, some parents. We were talking about some issues. And, and I said, when I get to heaven, if I remember to ask God anything, here's the one question I'm going to ask God. What about that whole free will thing? That just seemed like a really bad idea. You know, what about that? And God says, when I make myself vulnerable by giving you free will, you might mess up. But you have the chance to get it right. And you have the opportunity to be your very best self. Isn't that that something? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Jackson, my uh, youngest grandson, Jackson's kind of in this, uh, you know, uh, poppy seed catch me mode. Uh, we go to a, a ball game on Saturday, and uh, the last thing we do when everybody's leaving, Jackson climbs up on the top bleacher, and he'll say, poppy seed, catch me. And then he just dives off. I mean, he doesn't wait for me to say, okay, I'm ready. He just says, poppy seed, catch me. And then he just dives off. Now, poppy seed is old, and has a bad shoulder. And, uh, but man, I, you better believe I'm going to do everything in my power to catch him. By him making himself vulnerable, he gives me the chance. I look like a hero. Man, I catch him. He says, Poppy C, you are so strong. I say, I don't, yeah, I know. I know I am, but I don't, I don't tell people that much. But yeah, I am. I really am. So, yeah, Poppy, I, he's given me the chance to, to just to come across like Superman, you know? Doris, she watches that. So Doris climbs up and says, honey, catch me. And I said, oh, I don't wait. No, no. <laughs> we, we, we have the opportunity to allow the other in our relationship to be their, to be their very best self. Ladies, uh, let me just say, he's going he's gonna to blow it some. He, he might blow it a lot. But every once in a while, when you make yourself vulnerable, he's going to get it right. And he's going to come off looking like a hero. And, and he's, going to, he's going to have an opportunity to be his very best self. And then he builds on that. And the next time he's even a better self. So vulnerability gives the other person the, the opportunity to be their very best self. I just love that, that thought, that idea. All right. Well, then how are we vulnerable? Here's, here's three quick things. How we're vulnerable. Uh, and I'll show you a couple of object lessons, and then I like I like doing this because you can do things that you can't do on Sunday mornings. I like I like doing this. The first is uh, honest emotional feedback. The first place where we can begin to be truly vulnerable is honest emotional feedback. 
you did that some tonight when you said fear, pride, rejection, uh, self-centeredness. Now, my guess is that all of you had a, a little bit of that story in you. That you said fear because there's a time when you were very fearful. That you said rejection because there was a time when you felt rejected. That you felt you said pride because that is, there was a time when then pride just mastered you. So to be vulnerable, to be honest and say, man, this is how I feel about that. This is, this, this, to, to, that honest emotional feedback. Is, is the first place for vulnerability. Uh, the best way to do that is with I statements. I know this is a little bit counselorish. Sorry about that. But to use I statements. I feel like, not, you're an idiot. You know, when you drive like that, you're an idiot. But to use an I statement that's less threatening. When, when you turn like that, I feel like you're an idiot. No, that's not. That's not the way you do it. That... <laughs> That makes me nervous. I'm afraid. When you drive that way, I'm, that, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm fearful. To use those I statements and say, this is how I really feel about that. Uh, Doris and I had a conversation. We had been married for, uh, I don't know, uh, five or six years. And uh, we had a conversation. And, uh, and, and we, were, we were talking about, about being affectionate uh, in our relationship. And she wasn't as affectionate as I wanted her to be. And we had this conversation. And she said, well, I feel like that if I'm affectionate to you, then you will think that I want something else. And, and it'll just go further than that. And we had been married five or six years. You remember that conversation we had in Mount Vernon, sweetheart? You're not, I'm making myself vulnerable here, and it ain't working. <laughs> and I remember saying, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know you felt that way. I mean, all this time, we had not been emotionally honest enough with each other to really know that. To say, uh, let me just say this. Man, I would say this even if your wives were in the room. This is especially true for you. When, when men are willing to be emotionally honest and give that kind of feedback and, that, and be that vulnerable, it, it allows our wives to be their very best self. That emotional honesty to say, I was hurt when that happened. That, that makes me afraid. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, I'm a little angry right now. I'm going I'm to be okay, but, I'm, but this makes me mad. I'm angry. Uh, to begin to be vulnerable is to begin to be emotionally honest and to give emotionally honest feedback, okay? The second is to have eye-to-eye contact, to begin to have eye-to-eye contact instead of other kinds of of contact. Um, I think I have time to do this. I need your help. I need to do this really fast. I need three, uh, four couples to come up really, really fast. Would you do that? Four couples. I know this isn't about marriage, but four couples come up and very, very fast. Wayne and Lana volunteered. They're right there. Great. Thank you. There's two, two more couples real fast. Gary and Peggy, would y'all come up? One more couple. We need one more couple. Chris and Shelly. Chris and Shelly. Thank you. Perfect. Right on the tip of my tongue. Four couples. 
Okay, here are four styles. Virginia Satir says, there are four styles. She names five. We're just going to deal with four. Here are four styles of communication that often take place in a relationship, not just in a marriage, but in a relationship. Four, four categories. And, uh, and I just want you to look, as, I, as we talk about these, I want you to look for the eye-to-eye contact in those. Okay, let's, I'll start with Chris and Shelley. And, and this, is the, uh, this is the blamer. Uh, category that a lot of a lot of our communication falls in this in this blamer way. So uh, we'll let we'll let Shelley be the blamer. Okay. So Shelley, would you just would you just be the blamer on him right now? Just how, what would that look like? How would you stand if you were just? You'd probably be pointing your finger at him and just blaming him. Would you? Yeah. Hand on your hips, pointing at him. Okay. Yes, that's good. And if she's doing that, what are you going to do, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So now really, because we got this is a big crowd here, so you got to really cower. I mean, really just get, yes, yes. This is, uh, yeah. Oh, she's getting into this now. She really likes this, yeah. Okay, so where's the eye-to-eye? Just hold that for just a second. Where's the eye-to-eye contact in that? And this, a lot of our communication in relationships is in, in this blamer. So no eye-to-eye contact. Okay, sometimes when that happens, then we have the placator category. It just falls into, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, all right, all right. I've heard this before. Uh, we'll, let, we'll let Pastor Gary be the placator, okay? So, Peggy, would you kind of, you kind of be the blamer, okay? But you're just going to be the placator. What would you, okay, look, look perfect. Look at that. Oh, yeah, I heard this before. You might put your hands up like, yeah, oh, yeah, I heard this before. Uh, yeah, whatever, just the. Okay, where's the eye-to-eye contact in that? Uh, Wayne and Lana, uh, I know this personally about them. I don't, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this would be, uh, the, a lot of it is avoider. You know, the avoider. We, just, we don't deal with that. We don't talk about that kind of thing. We're not going to be emotionally honest, so we just avoid. So how would you all avoid? Good, good, perfect. I mean, that's it kind of worried me that they were so good at that so quick. They just kind of came out there as you know, the avoider. Uh, let's see. I'm going to do one more. Uh, oh, this is, yeah, this is one of my favorite. This is the superior, or I call it the one-up place. Tell me your guys' names. Jesse. Jesse? Danny. Danny. Okay. Jesse and Danny. Um, we're going to let Danny, Danny be the mother superior. Okay. So... Um, you're, you always get it right. You are smart. You always get it right. And you, oh, see the man, her chin went up. Yeah, right. Yeah, you might you might fold your arms like this. Yeah, always get it right. And so if when when that happens, where are you? What do you do? <laughs> okay, oh, he's doing the same thing. No, I always get it right. So we're both superior, and so neither one of us are really willing to see eye to eye. They're both, in fact, Danny kind of has her eyes closed. She's just, yeah. And yet what's required for vulnerability is to let go of these categories and say we have eye to eye contact. It's not one up. Can I tell you a little story really, really quick? Uh, I'm here because I've been really dumb. I mean, you know that. I've told my story enough. I'm here because I've been really dumb. And Doris has every opportunity to live in the one up place over me all the time. There's no reason in the world why Doris shouldn't get up in the morning and say, 
Yeah, I just want to remind you that you're really dumb. You've been really dumb. Just want to, you know, good morning. You've been really dumb. Just want to remind you that. And constantly live in that. But she chooses to make herself vulnerable by coming down from the one-up place and saying, no, if we're going to do this thing right, we're going to have eye-to-eye contact. We have to have eye-to-eye contact. So, does that make sense? Thank you all for, for, for doing that. So, there is emotional, honest emotional feedback, eye-to-eye contact, and that leads me then to the last thing that's required. If we're going to see each other eye-to-eye, and that is lifestyle forgiveness. Lifestyle forgiveness. That, we, that if we're going to be vulnerable, we're going to live in a way that we are constantly in a state of offering and receiving forgiveness. I am never more vulnerable than when I forgive. What, what am I saying when I forgive? What do, when I say to Doris, I forgive you, what am I saying? I'm saying, first of all, I was hurt. You know, oh, nah, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Ah, it's nothing. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is to say that. I was really wounded by that. Okay, so what does that mean? When I say I was hurt, that means you have power over me. You have the ability to hurt me. I'm acknowledging that. In fact, in some ways, I'm bestowing that on you. I was really hurt. That means you have power over me. I'm, I'm acknowledging it right here and right now that you have power over me. It also means that I have some power over you. That I could just hold on to this. I could stay in the one-up place. I could, I could pout. I could refuse to let go of this. So I'm acknowledging I was hurt. You have power over me. But I have power over you also. And, but I am choosing to lay my power aside for the sake of the other to give you the opportunity to be your very best self. That's what it means to offer forgiveness. I'm willing to admit that you hurt me. I'm willing to admit that you can hurt me. I'm willing to admit that, that maybe I'm in a one-up place. I could hold on to this, but I choose not to do that. I lay that aside for the, for the sake of the other to make the relationship better. Do you, see how, do you see how that is modeled in the, in the triune Godhead? Do you see Jesus on the cross? You know, remember that old song we used to sing a long, long time ago, Pastor? He could have called 10,000 angels to, what's it say? To destroy the world and set him free? Something like that. Uh, that's, that's, see, that's either there or Star Wars. One of those two, but it's, it was in there somewhere. But he... But, but you remember, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he, but he cho- he's, he's saying, look, you hurt, I'm, this, you're hurting me here. You have the power. In some ways, he's even saying that to the father. Father, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He's saying, you hurt, you hurt me, but, and I have the power to change this, but I choose to lay it aside. And then what does he say? Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That is modeled in the triune Godhead. And when I try to figure out how to be a better grandfather or a better church member or a, or a better boss or a better husband, I look for those things. 
It's like, can I be emotionally honest? Can I, can I come down off my high horse and see people eye to eye? And, and can I live in a constant lifestyle of forgiveness? And if I do that, if I do that, then I'm truly vulnerable. And that's the kind of relationship that God calls me to. Is that okay? Um, well, I, I, I have about four minutes to, to give you one quick example of that. What did you say, sweetheart? Okay. Doris, I see. I do have four minutes. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to, I know we've done this a lot, but I'm going to do it one more time. Ask for uh, four volunteers to come up very, very quickly. You can help me by doing this really fast. Four volunteers come up really fast. Doesn't matter if you've already been up here. You don't have to wear a blindfold. All you have to do is come up here and sit down. Okay. There you go, Leah. There you go. Thank you. Come on, Gus. Come on, Gus. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Have we got? Good. Good. Jesse? Is that right, Jesse? Perfect. That's Junior. Junior? Hey, Junior. Great. Okay. Um, yeah, that's good. Okay, we're going to, in keeping with last week, remember last week we ended with that picture of God? Uh, in keeping with that, uh, Leah gets to be God. Okay, so Leah, sorry. Leah gets to be God. So, Princess Leah. Princess Leah. I got Star Wars on my mind. So, so this is God, God the Father. And if you were here last week, uh, you know, March the 3rd, I saw an advertisement. March the 3rd, the movie The Shack comes out. I know that's a little controversial book, but I encourage you to go see that. That was my ADD kicking in. So, anyway, this, this is God, all right, God the Father. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit. Junior is the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesse is Jesus. He just looks like Jesus. I just, when he just walked up, I said, this is Jesus. Uh, and Gus, <laughs> Gus is, <laughs> and Gus has volunteered to be the devil. <clears throat> no, that's not true. Gus is, come, Gus, would you come over here with me? Gus is, Gus is me and you and all of us, you know, and there's something there's someone, well, maybe it's me. Let's say it's me. Gus and I, we, we just kind of had some words. There's some things happened between us, and it wasn't that, but, but we have just held on to that, and we're just not, when we come in the door, I see him, and I go to that side of the church, and he goes to that side, and it's just been awkward, you know? There's just, there's something between us. And, and one day, the Holy Spirit, Junior, you're the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes over and gets to Gus. And he says to Gus, I, I want to invite you to come to the table. Look at that. Isn't he doing great? And he takes Gus. <laughs> yeah, Gus is, he needs it worse. And he takes Gus. So you go back in the circle, Gus. And now Gus is in the circle with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is right in the middle of the triune Godhead. It's funny, uh, Jamie put up that picture from Alexander Rublev that we put last week. This icon, it's from the, the Orthodox Church, it's an icon. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the original, there is a small mirror that is glued to the, to the you, can, you can see the square right under the cup on the table. There's a small mirror there. And the idea was that the, that the, the viewer, as he looked at that picture, would see himself 
invited into the Trinity. Isn't that a neat thought? That he would see himself invited. And so, so the Holy Spirit has invited Gus to come and sit at the table with God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is the table of forgiveness. This is where we're, where we're, we're vulnerable and we let things go. And, and, we, and this is the, and the whole, and they, isn't this a great place to be? This, man, I'm, I'm with God the Father and God the Son. The whole, this, is, this is so cool. This is great. This is great. And Gus is having a great time and they're laughing and telling stories and just, just great. And, and, and Gus doesn't even notice, but, but, but the Holy Spirit gets up again and leaves the table. And the Holy Spirit comes to me and invites me to go to the table. Now, here's the thing. I can choose to go or not choose to go. And that has nothing to do with Gus being at the table. He's still at the table, whether I go or not. And so forgiveness is not about reciprocation or I'll do this and then you do that. Forgiveness is saying, I lay that aside. I make myself vulnerable. And when I do that, I enter into this in fellowship with the, with the triune Godhead. And you get to do what you choose to do. But, but he, I mean, he's still in pretty good company. He's sitting between Jesus and the Father. That's a pretty good place to be. Isn't that good? Here's what, I'd like to close this way. Thank you, Junior. Would you go, Holy Spirit, sorry, would you go back to there? Uh, Gus, would you come back with me again? Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Close this. All right, if I close, Pastor Gary. Um, I'd like you to see two things tonight. Now, this... Listen, this might not have anything to do with you. I understand. But my imagination is that some of us, as we're listening to this, think, ah, you know what? Yeah, that's all good. But ah, there's some people I'm not going to make myself vulnerable to. I'm just not going to do that. I'd like, to, I'd like to, to take the last minute or two and have you see two things. Would you see yourself sitting right here? Just picture yourself right here, sitting between... God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then would you see that other person right there? Whoever that is. Whoever comes to your mind right now. That, you know, oh, man, not that person. No, God, I wish you hadn't brought that person to my mind. That person. Would you see that for just a moment? Would you pray this prayer with me? God, would you help me at this moment to make myself vulnerable in the same way that you're vulnerable to lay my power aside and to forgive. Amen. Thank you. Next week we talk about intimacy.